0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. Uh, Very glad that you have decided to listen to our discussion. We're very glad to be having it. Uh, My name's Cameron. Uh, I'm here, obviously. Uh, Lachlan is not. He's uh, on uh, the road at the moment, actually, uh, heading down to Canberra, I I believe. So he won't be able to join us, but uh, he will have to catch up and listen to the episode.
1: (laughs) And we'll miss him, but uh, Ken here and I'm back.
2: Yes, and Luke here as well.
0: The lesson today, uh, this week, sorry, talks about the role of hope and how is it that we maintain hope and has in it, I think, lots of good points. Our our hope must rest in the character of God and when he shows us who he is and we have some sense of the broader uh, moral landscape that we inhabit and uh, God's long-term plans... Uh, we can accept that there are things in the here and now that are less than optimal, and and that's a valuable point. The lesson at one point quoted uh, Jeremiah 29, which we hope to get to at the end of this discussion, but in planning this recording, we got sidetracked into a a different chapter of Jeremiah. Uh, We might read it. uh, It's 32 verses, but we'll see how we go. Uh, We're looking at Jeremiah chapter 36. Ken, do you want to kick us off?
1: Uh, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord: Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, each of them will turn from his wicked way. Then I will give their wickedness, and then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So Jeremiah called Barak, son of Neriah, and while Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Barak wrote them on the scroll. Then Jeremiah told Barak, I am restricted, I cannot go to the Lord's temple. So you go to the house of the Lord on a day of fasting and read to the people from the scroll the words of the Lord that you wrote as I dictated. Read them to all the people of Judah who came in from their towns. Perhaps they will bring their petition before the Lord and each will turn from his wicked ways For the anger and wrath pronounced against these people by the Lord are great.
2: Uh, Baruch son of Neriah did everything Jeremiah the prophet told him to do. At the Lord's temple he read the words of the Lord from the scroll. In the ninth month of the fifth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, a time of fasting before the Lord was proclaimed for all the people in Jerusalem and those who had come from the town of Judah. From the room of Gemariah, son of Shaphan the secretary, which was in the upper courtyard at the entrance of the new gate of the temple, Baruch read to all the people at the Lord's temple the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. When Micaiah, son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the secretary's room in the royal palace where all the officials were sitting. Elishamah the secretary, Deliah, son of Shemaiah. El-Nathan, son of Akbor, Gemariah, son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, son of Hananiah, and all the other officials. After Micaiah told them everything he had heard Baruch read to the people from the scroll, all the officials sent Jehudi, son of Nathaniah, Nethani- Neth- the son of Shelemiah the son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, Bring the scroll from which you have read to the people and come. So Baruch, son of Neriah, went to them with the scroll in his hand. They said to him, sit down, please, and read it to us.
0: So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all these words, they looked at each other in fear and said to Baruch, we must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, tell us, how did you come to write all this? Did Jeremiah dictate it? Yes, Baruch replied. He dictated all these words to me and I wrote them in ink on the scroll. Then the official said to Baruch, you and Jeremiah, go and hide. Don't let anyone know where you are. Sorry, I'm taking a bit of time to jot down markers of places I want to come and talk about. Yeah, (laughs) me too. After they put the scroll in the room of Elishama the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to him. The king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and Jehudi brought it from the room of Elishama the secretary, and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month, ninth month and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the firepot in front of him. Whenever Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the firepot, until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though El Nathan, Adallah and Gamariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded... Uh, Jeremiah, the son of the king, Sarai, son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, son of Abdiel, to arrest Barak, the scribe, and Jeremiah the prophet. But the Lord had hidden them. After the king burned the scroll containing the words that Barak had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. He said, take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll, which the king has burned up. Also tell Jehoi king, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, Why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and wipe it from both man and beast? Therefore this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened." So Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe Baruch, son of Neriah. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them.
2: Do we want to jump over and read forty-five as well, which is a little coda to this story? Let's do it,
0: as particularly as it applies to the theme of how we, um, of how hope, or its lack thereof. Uh, helps us in difficult times. We really need to jump to Jeremiah 45.
1: I'll read it. This is what Jeremiah the prophet told Barak, son of Moriah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, after Barak had written on a scroll the words Jeremiah was then dictating. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Barak. You said, woe to me. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am worn out with groaning and find no rest. The Lord said, say this to him. This is what the Lord says. I will overthrow what I have built and uproot what I have planted throughout the land. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for I will bring disaster on all people, declares the Lord. But wherever you go, I will let you escape with your life.
0: Right. Now, I've marked a bunch of points to come back to. Um, what was the chapter we were first reading? before? The first point I want to point out 36. uh Luke, is that we identified and I've always regarded Jeremiah 45 as a coda to the previous story. But Jeremiah is famously uh, non-chronological. Uh, mm. My reading is that the message in Jeremiah 45 comes one year before 36 because it happens in the fourth year of the king's reign.
2: Ah, well, not before 36, but because 36 begins with stating events that happened in the fourth year of ah. Jehoiakim's reign it was at the same but time between then. the beginning of 36 and when the scroll is read which is an interesting chron- chronology so the scroll is written in the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign the scroll is read in public um in the ninth month of the fifth year of Jehoiakim's reign so it is read a long time after it was written or perhaps
0: perhaps it took a long time we to could rot. say
2: it it was read a long time after it was started being written uh, because, and this is something that none of us really appreciate very well, but um, handwriting official documents is a very, very, very time-consuming process. The art of calligraphy now is really only practiced as a kind of hobby, um, but the ability to write with extreme precision and neatness for most of human history uh, has been a, an extremely a, a quite elite profession uh, and very desirable, which is why even as late as when I was in primary school, um, handwriting was a thing that was quite emphasised because to write well, as in to write neatly, was a sign of, of, of status, um, all of which is a little bit of a sidetrack. Uh, so, yes, I think you're right. It doesn't, doesn't happen after the end of this story. It happens during this story this communication to Baruch, which is interesting. Perhaps it, it is why it, Baruch had the courage to do what he subsequently did. Yeah, just rewrite it.
0: Um, Ken,
2: what jump- well, to go and speak it publicly in the yes. first place. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, that's true. Uh, Ken, what jumped out for you?
1: Um, a, a couple of things, and I I will have to choose select which we talk about, Um uh, the first was though, to put this in some context, uh, it says this was uh, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Je- Je- son of Josiah, king of Judah. Now uh, in fact, uh, Jehoiakim is Josiah's grandson, uh, but still a-, a son in that sense. Um, uh, and it immediately took me back to second chronicles, Uh, chapter 34 and the same story that's told in 2nd Chronicles, uh, sorry, 2nd Kings, chapter 21 and 22. Um, uh, And this is when the Book of the Law is found, which is a scroll. Um, uh, And it was found in the back of the temple um, uh, next to or where the Ark of the Covenant should have been. Because in Deuteronomy, that's where the, the scroll is required to be placed. Uh, so uh, th- that was one of the things that stuck out to me. That And and th- then there were other things, other really fascinating comparisons between the way that uh, Josiah dealt with what seems to be a similar message and the way that Jehoiakim dealt with that similar message. Um, for a start, um, in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. And we contrast that with um, uh, the uh, conduct of um, uh, Jehoiakim where in verse 24 it says, uh, The king and all his attendants who heard these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Uh, So there's a completely opposite response, even though the message was clearly very similar because uh, it said that the message that was in the book of the law, which again is the message in Deuteronomy, um, said, If you do what I say, then things will go well for you as a nation. If you don't do what I say, then you'll be destroyed as a nation. Uh, And that's the very same message, uh, but a very different response uh, on the part of Jehoiakim and Josiah. So um, that was one of the things that stuck out to me. The other bit that jumped out at me also was um, the uh, the approach that Jeremiah uh, had Uh, and says in verse 3, perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, each of them will turn from his wicked way. Then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. And again, that points us back to the story of Josiah, uh, where Josiah did turn from his wicked way uh, and indeed did everything that was required of him by the book of Deuteronomy uh, in relation to the Asherah poles. And we see that, and, and the high places and all the idol worship and the like that was uh had replaced the worship of god so that that was that that was another contrast and then that brought me again back to uh second uh, chronicles uh chapter um 7 um, uh, eight and no it must have been in second kings uh, uh in any event uh, the dedication of the temple uh uh, Second Chronicles chapter 6, I think. Um, uh, yeah, Second Chronicles chapter 6, Solomon's prayer of dedication. Uh, and his the refrain that keeps coming back, uh, when hear the supplications of your servant and, and your people Israel when they pray towards this place, hear from heaven your dwelling place and when you hear, forgive. Forgive. Um, And when they've been defeated by the enemy and sinned against you and when they turn back and confess their name, praying and making supplication, uh, hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people and bring them back to the land you gave to them. Um, And uh, uh, again, when there's afflictions uh, and uh, each starts to walk in their own ways, um, but when they sin against you and there is no one who does not sin, uh, if they have a change of heart and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we've done wrong, and turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity. Uh, hear uh, and forgive the people who've sinned against you. And that's what motivated uh, Jeremiah to dictate this scroll, was to bring about that um, that change of heart and that repentance. Um, it didn't work. Mm.
0: There's so much. in, in Interestingly, Ken, uh, Baruch reads the scroll at the Lord's temple. So,
2: mm. yes. Oh well, there's another interesting thing there. Baruch reads the scroll at the Lord's temple because Jeremiah is not allowed to go to the Lord's.
0: He's a politically, he's politically um, dangerous. So, I mean, what's happening? Suggesting. Well, it. What's suggesting here is that there's some people. There's still some religious observance. And there's obviously some people who think things are going fine and they do not want to be told that things are not going mm-hmm. fine.
2: Well, I mean, he, Baruch reads the scroll at a fast day um, in honour of the Lord. So it, it is not as though Israel here is not observing any of their proper religious um, you know, rituals. Um, but that, that, that bit about, that bit about Jeremiah restricted, being restricted, not being allowed to go to the Lord temples reminds me of an insight that I heard about the prophets, which made me much more interested in prophets generally than I had previously been because the, the traditional Adventist present presentation of prophets or emphasis on prophets is on the, is, is on the predicting the future and not predicting the future in the way that Jeremiah is doing it here, as as a a attempt to prevent a bad thing from happening by changing people's courses, not in the in the Jonah sort of prophecy way, but predicting the future in the sort of I know what's going to happen in X number of years because the Lord has revealed it to me, right? Um, but this is the insight on the prophets, which I think is really really important. The job of the prophets is to point out the failings and the weaknesses and the mistakes of the priesthood. So you've got the prophets and the priesthood. The priesthood is the authority, <clears throat> and the king comes into that, the king and the priesthood. Um, the prophet is there to correct them and criticize them and, and, and point out their problems and speak truth to power. To do that job effectively, the prophet, therefore, cannot be part of the priesthood. They have to be separate from it. If they're part of that system, if they're part of the tribe of Israel that 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 is supported economically by donations from the other tribes, um, <clears throat> if they're reliant on that system, invested in it, they have a personal stake in it, they cannot criticize it effectively and honestly. Because... It it is it is what we would call in our society a conflict of interest, so they must be separate from it, um, and I think it's really interesting that that this is very consistently observed across all prophets, up to and including Jesus, um, but it's it's really interesting to see how how it plays out in practice. Jeremiah is very far removed from the priesthood; he cannot go to the temple, he cannot speak before the people.
0: Yeah, um, and. And the people who hear the message, the, the governors and the scribes from the palace, when they, they say, was this from Jeremiah? Oh, well, you better go and hide. They, they know in advance how this is going to play out. Yes, It made me think of something, and I, I have no desire at all to um, make this into any sort of political commentary, but the resemblance was striking uh, to the current investigations that are going in place uh, regarding uh, the final days of Donald Trump's presidency. Um, this is a situation with toxic positivity. The only people allowed in the inner circle are people who are saying that things are going well. And if you, if you dare to, to, to raise a dissident voice, then you are seen as having ill intent. I think as a church, we err uh, in that direction rather than being too... I mean, you could have a church that's full of too much conflict or you could have a church where the conflict's suppressed too much. And I think we tend towards the latter. We definitely want to hear that things are going well. And if someone stands up and says, I don't think this is right, I don't think the church is correct in this regard, I don't think this practice is effective, um, it is very easy for us to label that person as a dangerous dissident. The similarities are a bit more striking here, though. Um, the narrative stresses the large number and goes into names the large number of advisers who heard and endorsed the message from Barrow. They knew it wouldn't be popular. Um, but the King mm. here, and, and, and it, the narrative explicitly says that the these officials advised the King not to burn the scroll. So my understanding is in these January 6 hearings that are hap- happening at the moment, although I don't understand the legal intricacies, can you probably understand them more, um, there reaches a point where you can't claim that you were just deluded. Oh, I just didn't know. I just didn't know they were going to storm the US Capitol. I just didn't know. Um, if it can be shown that enough credible people warned you of it in advance then you must have willfully closed your ears and that seems to suggest at least in the legal system in the US that there may be some criminal culpability. How that'll play out I don't know but that seems to be the vein in which this story is progressing. The people liked the message these large number of officials liked the message. They knew it wasn't going to play well. They brought it to the king anyway. It didn't play well. They warned the king. It is really obvious that the king and his son and his inner circle and his friends are willfully blocking their ears to this message.
2: Now, Which, which is really interesting to me because there is a repeated pattern in, in Hebrew stories from the Old Testament regarding Israel. And, and prophecies of doom and redemption, um, which you would imagine that, that a king such as um, Jehoiakim would have been well-educated in. And so it's hard to believe he wouldn't know that the correct thing to do when you receive a message of doom from a prophet of the Lord is to tear your clothes and go into mourning and repent and instruct all the people to do likewise. It's, it's it's interesting to me that he didn't even do that in bad faith. He didn't even pretend to do that.
0: Yes, yeah.
2: Um, obviously, pretending to do it wouldn't have worked, you would think. But why, why do what he did do? What purpose did it serve? It's, it's a bit of a mystery to me.
0: He was just certain he was
2: right. He was... Um because he he, he he cuts the scroll up and he throws it in the fire and he sends his son and a couple of other officials to go and arrest Baruch and Jeremiah, which presumably means to have them killed.
0: It's, and the narrative says the narrative says but the Lord had hidden them. In point of fact, they were mm. advised to be to hide by these well-meaning and gifted and wise advisors. To the king
2: yes but but also keep in mind if we jump forward to Jer- not forward but we jump over to jeremiah 45 baruch has also been promised that his life will be spared at this by this point most yeah. likely in the narrative this is after this is in the fifth year and he was promised that back in the fourth year hmm. and 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 it was true he was spared
1: uh this this raises a couple of interesting points um i reflect on the way the king Dealt with the scroll. Um, it is a sustained act, not just of defiance, but of complete disdain. Um, uh, and uh, I'm reminded of some of the stories that occasionally I hear, where people have been served with court documents, um, and they uh, they don't want to uh, they don't want to respond. Uh, to what's in the court documents, to the claim that's been made. Um, And they'll refuse to accept the court documents on some occasions. Uh, And you can validly serve somebody by, in that circumstance, uh, stating to them what it is. Uh, This is a claim issued out of the Magistrates' Court of Tasmania Um, uh, and placing it at their feet. And they can choose whether or not to accept it. Sometimes it will go further. They'll take it off the person serving them and rip it up um, uh, and throw it in the bin. Or uh, be, I, I refuse to deal with this allegation that I have done the wrong thing. Uh, and, and it seems to me that's exactly what the king is doing here in a sustained, deliberate, disdainful defiance. Yeah. Oh, there's some nice alliteration there. Uh, there's an
0: extended a relative of my wife's who once went camping and was so infuriated and anyone who's tried to put up a tent knows how infuriating a tent could be but was so <laughs> infuriated with this tent that at the conclude of his camp he chopped it into little bits and put it in the fire piece by piece.
1: <laughs> oh dear.
2: Well, yeah. So that the, there is, there is that element of sort of the news is so bad that y- you're just not willing to accept it, or, or it so threatens your sense of self. You know, maybe Jehoiakim thought he was being a really good king mm. and and doing a great job, and it was very proud of that fact. Mm. Um, and this 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 disputed, you know, all of that, and and so he he felt that he, he needed to uh, to respond the way he did. But, I, I, you know, I'm just speculating.
1: Um, there's, a, there's another interesting aspect of, of uh, this story that um, you drew attention to, Cam, and that is uh, you said, well, you know, God had hidden them. Uh, and you pointed out that, well, in fact, they had been warned and uh, told uh, to go and hide. But that, in my view demonstrates a very interesting way in which God acts. Um, And sometimes we tend to think that where God acts, it is to the exclusion of our actions as human beings, that he acts sort of separately in some uh, miraculous way. um, And and, and there's a lot of superstition often involved in that. Um, But the fact that the actions of particular human beings produce certain results, does not in any way diminish the fact that they are also acts of God um, and that indeed God often and perhaps principally acts through the actions and indeed the uh, actions of free moral agents, um, uh, human beings, so that uh, when God says, love your fellow man, uh, when we do that, that is an act of God as much as it is an act of me, you and I, loving mm. our fellow human beings.
0: Yeah, the phrase that's used, Ken, is to leave things in God's hand, hands. And the phrase is mm. used to mean that we will do nothing. Mm. So we say... It, it
1: means precisely not that. Um, uh, it means that we will do uh, and that... Uh, We'll,
0: uh, we'll do God's will.
2: Well, see, this
1: is, but
0: not
2: fret over the outcome. But not fret yeah, over the yeah, outcome. No.
0: Exactly. So mm. so people say, I'll uh, I'll not be vaccinated, I'll leave it in God's hands. Um, mm. Well, it is true that if you're not vaccinated, you are in God's hands. But it's also the case that if you are vaccinated, you'll be in God's hands because I might get side effects, I might not. I'll leave that in God's hands. It, this might be efficacious, it might not. I'll leave that in God's hands. There's as much trust in in the action as there is in the inaction.
2: If, if not more, Cam, depending on what your personal preference and fears might be. Yeah, that's true. I, I would say that the point of the verse is that no matter what you do, hmm. it is in God's hands.
1: One of the other things that I thought, one of the other interesting things about this is, um, uh, uh, this is a, another reference to Jeremiah in the story of King Josiah. And if we go over to Second Chronicles chapter 35 and verse 25, we see, uh, this is after the death of Josiah. Um, he went into battle and he wouldn't listen to what Necho had said at God's command. Uh, and he got shot by the archers. Um, uh, I think he went in disguised. Um, in any event, uh, and then in verse 25, Jeremiah composed laments for Josiah. And to this day, all the men and women singers commemorate Josiah in the laments. These became a tradition in Israel and are written in the laments. Um, I think it's interesting. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah lamented Josiah
0: hmm. and um, yeah, uh, says, chastised
1: Jehoiakim. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> one of the one of the things I want to focus in now, and this will draw us perhaps a little bit closer back to the lesson discussion, is I, I think it is so uh, quaint. Not the word. I need a stronger word than that. It's very encouraging. It is surprising in some sense, but I think appropriate that. The sort of um, end to this discussion um, or to this story is not to talk about the large-scale impacts it has out in international politics and everything else. It is this little brief passage in Jeremiah 45 that explains how all these circumstances that were going on affected Barak, who, who's really the, the less consequential person in this passage. He just does what he's told. He writes when he's told to write. He hides when he's told to hide. He's, he's the normal person here. He's the person that I associate most strongly with. I'm not an advisor to a king. I'm not a prophet. I'm doing my best to do the right thing. Sometimes it just seems like everything is bonkers mad. Um, so- <laughs> I, I, I get the sense,
2: and again, it's reading into it, but, but Baruch is, seems potentially to be a, a young and fairly ambitious Well-educated person, yeah, um, who might be might be out looking for glory, uh, and that message is basically just, "I'm like, look, things are going to go real bad around here for a bit, and you're going to be lucky to get out alive." Yeah, so just just be content with that. Well, (laughs) because it's better than a lot of people are going to get.
0: This is this is something I was saying to my wife um, last night. Um, We, I, I feel like the most encouraging thing that could be said if i'm in a place where things are not going well i've worked in workplaces where things are not going well or you're in a church where you think things are not going well and no one's talking about it and to my mind for Mm. someone to stand up and say just hang on this is ridiculous we've tried this four times and it hasn't worked and this is not going right and we're pretending to evangelize to the community but we're bickering and fighting between ourselves um we're kidding ourselves that anyone would want to be here at the moment. Um, why are we running this evangelistic program? Or or it could be a school where you say, all right, well, we're, we're starting all these new fancy programs, but um, are we covering the core basics? Is what we're doing working? And I feel that if someone sort of stands up and names the elephant in the room and says things are not going well and realistically they're not going to start going well for another couple of years um, for these reasons, but, you know, if we start working, we will bring about positive change quicker than if we do nothing. So let's name the problems, fix them, and move on. I find that an intre- that that is what shifts me from pessimism to optimism. Mm. But for some people, that's not their experience. For some people, they're like, oh, Cameron, you're being a wet blanket. You're you're bringing the mood down. We had a lot of positive energy here, and um, you know." So the tendency in the places I've worked, and this is a reflection on my personality. But I have always felt that uh, the places I work and the places I worship have tended a little too much towards the platitudinous optimism, um, and and I don't find that sort of hope inspires hope in me. And go it, it, on. And and God seems to at least in this passage uh, not try and bolster Barrack up with, oh, it'll be fine, you'll be right, you'll yeah. You know. No, it's fine. It's going fine. Just keep going. You know, uh, he's quite happy saying no. Actually, Barrack, you're right. Things are pretty bad, and they're going to get worse. Uh, but it's worse for me than for you. I mean, you've had a scroll burned, um, or you know, you're worried about your life work being being um, forgotten. Uh, think of everything I've worked to establish that's going to be no more. Having said that, of course, it's quite possible that some of the writings in the Book of Jeremiah come from Barrack's pen. So the irony is he's enjoyed posterity to an enormous extent. Um,
2: well, we're we're, sitting, we're here, sitting here still reading it. 2,500 odd years later, um, saying his name over and over Yeah, and, and, and talking about how important he was, which is more than can be said for most people who lived around that time. Speaking of, speaking of uh feel-goods, Cam... Yes, maybe it's a good time to jump over to Jeremiah 29.
0: Let's do that um, because that's because that's the passage in the lesson and there's a lot of good stuff in Jeremiah 29. And uh, just you know, I say that platitudinous goodness, positive optimism is is incomplete. Well, it's also the true that sort of a pessimistic realism, failure to hope and dream sort of thing is not the whole picture also. Um that there is truth well in
2: and so we're talk- we're talking about verse 11, which we will shortly read, but I, I, f- I, I don't have a problem with the verse itself so much as the way that it gets it gets used as an encouragement for everyone in every context. Hmm. Um, and I don't think it's a verse for everyone in every context and moreover, I think we often read it out of its context. Well, let's read it. Which In which it's not quite so blithely rainbows and puppies as it sounds by itself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll read the verse, and then I think we can have a brief discussion of the context in which it's often used. And then we can look at the context that it appears in this chapter. So the verse is the well-known one, Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven. 11. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And verse twelve says, "Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, uh, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart."
2: Mm. Now,
1: interesting, I, isn't it? You, you hear an echo of Solomon's prayer.
2: Yeah. Um, it, it look it it is a really great verse, um, and and you know talking about un. Unbreakable hope was that the phrase Cam?
0: It was something hope. It was let me just indestructible hope.
2: Indestructible, yeah, pretty close. (laughs) Um, in indestructible hope, um, I I think the important thing to remember about hope is that it is by definition something that you have in the absence of evidence. If you have evidence, it's not hope. It's 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 foreknowledge or or uh, anticipation or um, you know it's an expected outcome. It's it hope is something that is needed by the hopeless. Hmm. Um, it's something that's needed because you do not have anything else. Luke, that's
0: that's a fantastic observation. I'd never connected that in my mind, but it it brings to my mind now similar phrases that are used um, that have to me immediately contrary effects so there's some phrases we use that infer a context if someone comes up to you and says now Cameron don't worry but like the minute those words are out of your mouth your, your pulse has doubled and your blood pressure's up and you're, you're worried you know what's um, uh, if someone stands up the front of a busy room and says sorry everyone I need your attention now stay calm <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's that infers there's something going on So what you're saying here, Luke, is that um, the fact God finds it necessary to say to people Hey, you, you've got something to hope in and hope for It's not all going to mm. be bad Infers that the experience of these people is actually that things are not going that well at all
2: Well, I- exactly so And we don't have to infer that because it says it in verse 10 um, and and the, the context of the first part of the chapter, I mean, verse 10, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, i.e. when most of you are dead, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, he plans to prosper you and not to harm you, he plans to give you hope and a future. So it is a message of, of long-term hope, but it is being delivered. Anybody who's an adult hearing that probably ain't going to see Jerusalem again. Yeah, that's true. That's the context of that message. Mm. Um, and, and we we too often just take the positive part of it. And we don't consider the misery that is implicit in the very need for hope. Yeah. Um, and then that puts an unrealistic, that, you know, the verse can be used to put on people an unrealistic expectation of what their lives are going to be like. Now, as Christians, and I have heard it used in this context, and it's very troubling to me. um, It 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 feels almost a selfish application, as in. So, I I I was as part of a structured Bible study exercise. I was asked to meditate on this verse in the in in the context of my own life. And I'm afraid I was not a very good participant in this study because my meditation mostly pondered on all of the problems I had with it. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the big problems I had with it was I, I had recently, I have really still recently been in Ukraine working on humanitarian projects there. The day, you know, some only a few days prior to this meditation on this verse that I was asked to perform, four-year-old girl with Down syndrome in the middle of Ukraine, hundreds of kilometers away from any conflict areas, was killed by a Russian missile strike on a civilian building. Where is God's plan to prosper and give hope to her and her family? What possible comfort can they have at the moment after something like that?
0: Yeah, not something that
2: can be... it feels selfish to me in the context of thinking about that to go, Well, yeah, but in comparison, my life's going great. And any problems I have are going to be overcome in the long run because God has a plan to prosper me and give me a future. Yay me.
0: Yeah, well I think I think Luke, I mean that was when you I have
2: a four year old daughter. Yeah. I can imagine what those parents felt like.
0: When when you described that story, Luke, I did think Oh, I'm lucky not to be in Ukraine. Um which is the wrong response, really? I mean, that's it, their well, it, suffering it, it's is a not very natural. Response. Yeah, their suffering is not helped by me not being there.
2: Um, uh, well, well, quite as as I like to say, um, it's it's not a competition. Yeah, it, yeah. So <laughs> you, you don't win by having less suffering.
0: Well, it seems to me, it seems to me that the this verse were it to be written to you know someone in my circumstances. Uh, would be written thus. Um, let me find the actual wording so I can give it uh, uh, the correct appropriation. Uh, for you know the plans uh, I've had for you, declares the Lord. I have prospered you. I haven't harmed you. Uh, you have a hope in the future. So what on earth are you going to do with it? Um, you know, you've you've been given all of this. It's the talents, isn't it? You've been given all of these talents, and other people have been haven't been given the same amount of of comfortable circumstances in their life. So what on earth are you going to do with yours that make it worthwhile? I mean, that's that seems to me, um, you know, were this, I uh, part of what you're saying I hear, Luke, is that this verse is used to help comfort people who are dealing with perhaps very much first world problems.
2: Well, and I think more than that, just just thinking about as you're talking, Cam, I think you've, ident- you've helped me identify a big problem I had with it, which is that this verse is used... As we tend to do with so we we personalize things. This is our modern culture of the time, and we've talked about this on the podcast before. The difference between individual and, and, and collective, right? And our mindset now is very individualistic.
1: I was just waiting to jump in with that very point. Right?
2: Oh, well, you go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead, no, you Ken. Made it. <laughs> um, That's it. <laughs> be, 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 because this verse and the passage it's in is not being given to an individual person. It is being given to a nation that has just been shattered by war. And in the context of being given to a whole nation, it's a lot easier to... It it avoids a lot of the issues I have with it being, being told, this verse is for you individually, and this is the meaning it has in your individual life. Don't think too much about other people.
1: the the immediately preceding verses um, uh, say, uh, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, they'll have an increasing number there, do not decrease, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So um, there is a prosperity, uh, a a material prosperity um, that is Accompanying the Babylonian exiles, um, so this is not talking to uh, to the people uh, who are um, immediately uh, not well, not just to the people um, who've just been taken into captivity. Indeed, it says it's it's a it's a letter sent to the surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests and the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile from Jerusalem. So. Um, uh, Things are not going to be bad uh, where you are, but I have something better for you. Um, and I'm wondering if looking at the time, it might be worth thinking about what well, that something better might be by going backwards and then going forwards. Or indeed, perhaps going and then backwards. Because if one goes forwards, um, sorry, if one looks at what Jeremiah has said is the better thing that I have for you, it is this you will seek me. And find me when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. The good and better thing, uh, the plans to prosper uh, that God has is to be found when we seek him with all our heart. And, and to go forward, we we'll go forward to Matthew 7, 7 or to Luke 11 and verse 9, and um, Uh, where we are promised uh, that what we ask for, we receive. Ask and it will be given to you. And note these words and the echo back to Jeremiah. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks find and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Um, uh, And uh, think about God's Jesus standing at the door and knocking um, uh, and the door will be opened. Because we are seeking him. And we go backwards, then, right back to the very start, to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. And have I come to love the book of Deuteronomy? Um, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. Uh, this is what God says. Let's go to 27. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. Do we hear? a statement about Babylonian captivity. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. Verse 29, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and in all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Isn't that the message that we see right throughout the whole of Scripture?
0: It is the message, Ken. And uh, by way of confession, I, I think I fail in the same sense that Barak fails. God says, Jim, what? You're expecting good things for yourself. And the truth Mm. is, I do. Mm -hmm. We expect health. We expect, if we're in a job today, to still have that job tomorrow. We expect peace in our society. Job satisfaction. Satisfaction. And if if for some reason things go pear-shaped, we say, ah, you know, something awful has happened to me. And God Mm. says, what? Were Were you expecting good things to happen? The good thing that we ought be expecting or seeking or, you know, working to attain... The good thing is
1: God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The good and beautiful God.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's certainly a challenge for me um, and uh, given me a lot to think about. Uh, We are glad to you, our listener, for uh, participating in this community by downloading the podcast. Uh, It gives us some satisfaction to send this out into the void. Uh, We have the discussion and enjoy having it. regardless of how many people listen. But um, uh, once the work's been done in recording and and editing, uh, it can then be distributed far and wide. So uh, please, if you feel it to be of value and uh, know of anyone who you think would benefit, please don't hesitate to share this podcast with them. Uh, Our listenership uh, varies and fluctuates uh, more or less in sync with how severe COVID is it does do. which, which which seems to suggest that the the original sort of creates uh, an
2: uncomfortable conflict of interest yeah, 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 it does uh
0: it seems to suggest that the original inception of of trying to um provide some resource that people can use if they're if they're doing some bible study away from their home church community uh is being realized which gives me a lot of satisfaction uh my own use for this is to build an a seemingly inexhaustible store of of Bible studies and sermons that I can draw from at short notice. So I find it very valuable for that. Um, for whatever use or reason you've tuned in, thank you. And uh, you can send us comments at Home at gmail.com and please uh, join us again next week.